Hello there, and welcome to episode 6 of What You May Have Miffed. I hope that you have been enjoying this series so far, I certainly have. Now if you cast your mind back to the same point of the last series, then you will remember that we had a double bill episode with the stories of Oyone and the Bamboo Flute, and the tale of the Little Peachling. Well, this week we are returning to where those stories came from. This week we are headed back to Japan. We are journeying back to Japan this week and exploring the adventures of a young chap. But before we set off, I made a promise last week that there would be an exciting announcement today about what you can expect at the end and after this series has concluded. In a couple of weeks, I will be launching my Patreon, where you will have access to a wide variety of what you may have miffed material, including bonus episodes once or twice a month when the show has finished, bedtime stories once or twice a week, depending what package you get, a private community where we can chat and ask questions and just generally connect, and some other bits and bobs as well. It's very exciting, as it will give me a chance to create more material for you whilst getting to connect with you and like-minded people in a much more personal way. And it also means that the gaps between the series are less stagnant, less stop-start, so to speak. I'll give you more information close to the time, but I'm very excited to be able to launch this soon. So after this episode, we have four episodes left before the end of the series, and I will be launching it just before our massive series finale in September. But in the meantime, you can fire any questions to me in an email at themythspodcast@gmail.com or on any of the videos on TikTok, and if you're feeling particularly generous, you can support the show at buymeacoffee.com forward slash themythspodcast. This week we have the last of our folk tales, as next week we are entering the final stages of the series, and some more of the well-known legends. But this week, Japan, and it's a short series of stories about a young lad called Prince Yamato. It is another shorter episode this week, but that is because the next four are going to be considerably longer than normal. So, here is today's tale from Japan. The Adventures of Prince Yamato Once, King Keiko ordered his youngest son, Prince Yamato, to go forth and slay a number of bandits. Before he left, the prince prayed at the shrines of Isa and begged that Amaterasu, the sun goddess, would bless him and his sword. Prince Yamato's aunt was high priestess of one of Isa's temples, and he told her all about the task his father had entrusted to him. She was very pleased to hear of the charge Yamato's father had given him, and presented her nephew with a rich silk robe, telling him it would bring him luck, and perhaps even be of service to him. When Prince Yamato had returned to the palace and bid farewell to his father, he left the court accompanied by his wife, the Princess Ototachibana, and a number of staunch followers, and proceeded to the southern island of Kyushu, which had been overrun with ruffians. 
The country was so rough and impassable that Prince Yamato saw at once that he must devise some cunning scheme by which he might take the marauders by surprise. He called Princess Otachibana to bring him the rich silk robe his aunt had given him and put it on. He let down his hair, stuck a comb in it, and adorned himself with jewels. When he looked into a mirror, he saw that the disguise was perfect and that he made quite a handsome woman. Then, dressed very beautifully, he entered the enemy's tent, where two brothers, Kamaso and Takeru, were sitting. It just so happened that they were discussing Yamato and his efforts to exterminate their band when they chanced to look up and they saw what they believed to be a lovely woman coming towards them. Kamaso was so delighted that he beckoned the disguised prince towards them and asked him to serve wine as quickly as possible. Yamato was only too delighted to do so. He feigned shyness and walked with very minute steps, glancing out the corner of his eye with all the timidity of a bashful maiden. Yamato was very diligent in filling Kamaso's glass, so he ended up drinking more wine than was good for him. And after he reached that stage, he still continued to drink, just to have the pleasure of seeing this lovely creature pouring it out for him. When Kumaso became beyond drunk, Prince Yamato flung down the wine jar, whipped out his dagger, and stabbed him to death. Takeru, when he saw what had happened to his brother, attempted to escape, but Prince Yamato leapt on him. Once more his dagger shimmered in the candlelight of the tent, and Takeru fell to the earth. "'Stay your hand a moment!' gasped the dying thief. "'I would know who you are and from whence you have come. "'I have always thought that my brother and I were the strongest men in the kingdom. "'I am indeed mistaken.' "'I am Yamato,' said the prince, "'and son of the king who ordered me to kill such rebels as you.' "'Permit me then to give you a new name,' said the brigand, dying. "'Henceforth you shall be called... Yamato Take, because you are the bravest man in the land. And having spoken, Takeru too fell dead. The Wooden Sword When the prince was returning to the capital, he encountered another outlaw named Izumo. Again resorting to strategy, he pretended to be extremely friendly with Izumo. He cut a sword of wood and rammed it tightly into the sheath of his own steel weapon, and he wore this whenever he expected that he might meet Izumo in future. One such occasion rose when Prince Yamato invited Izumo to swim with him in the river Hinokawa. While the thief was swimming downstream, the prince quietly swam ashore and, going to Izumo's clothes lying on the bank, swapped the swords, putting his wooden one in place of the keen steel sword of Izumo. When Izumo came out of the water and put on his clothes, the prince asked him to show his skill with the sword. "'We will prove,' he said, "'which is the better swordsman of us two?' Izumo picked up what he thought was his sword, but when he tried to unsheath it, it stuck fast. As it would, being made of wood. And besides, its material made its worth against a steel blade completely useless. And so... While Izumo was struggling, Yamato removed his head. Once again, Yamato's wily mind had served him, and when he had returned to the palace, he was feasted and received many mighty gifts from his king father. The Grass-Cleaving Sword 
Prince Yamato did not stay long in the palace, for his father commanded him to put an end to a rebellion rising in the eastern provinces. When Yamato was ready to depart, the king gave him a spear made of holly called the Eight Arms Length Spear, which, as you could probably guess, was an eight arm length long spear. With this precious gift, Prince Yamato visited the temples of Isa once again, where his aunt, the High Priestess, greeted him. She listened with interest to all her nephew told her, and was especially delighted to know how well the robe she had given him had served in his adventures. After she had heard his story, she went into the temple and returned carrying a sword and a bag containing flints. These she gave to Yamato as a parting gift. The sword was the sword of Murakumo, belonging to the insignia of the Imperial House of Japan. The prince could not have received a more auspicious gift, for this sword once belonged to the gods. After a long march, Prince Yamato and his men found themselves in the province of Suruga. The governor hospitably received him and, by a way of entertainment, organised a deer hunt. Our hero, for once, in a way, was utterly deceived and joined the hunt without a second thought. The prince was taken to a great and wild plain, covered with high grass. While he was engaged in hunting down the deer, he suddenly became aware of a fire. A moment later, he saw flames and clouds of smoke shooting up in every direction. He was surrounded by the inferno from which there was, apparently, no escape. Too late, the guileless warrior realised that he had fallen into a trap, and quite a hot trap at that. Our hero opened the bag his aunt had given him, set fire to the grass near him with the flints, and using the sword of Murakumo, he cut down the tall green blades on either side as quickly as possible. No sooner had he done that than the wind suddenly changed and blew the flames away from him, so that the prince could make his escape without even a single burn. And thus it was, the sword of Murakumo came to be known as the grass-cleaving sword. The Sacrifice of Ototachibana In all these adventures, the prince had been followed by his faithful wife, the princess Ototachibana. I'm sorry to say, though, that our hero, so praiseworthy in battle, was not nearly so respectful in his love. He looked down on his wife and treated her with blatant indifference. She, a poor, loyal soul, had lost her beauty in serving her lord, her skin was burnt with the sun and her garments were soiled and torn, yet she never complained, and though her face became sad, she made a brave effort to maintain her usual kind and tender-hearted manner. But now Prince Yamato met the gorgeous and beguiling Princess Mayatsu. Her robes were stunning, her skin delicate as cherry blossom, and it was not long before he fell desperately in love with her. When the time came for him to depart, he swore that he would return again and make the beautiful princess his wife. He had scarcely made this promise when he looked up and saw Ototachibana, and on her face was a look of intense sadness. But Prince Yamato hardened his heart and rode away, secretly determined to keep his promise. When Prince Yamato, his wife and men reached the seashore of Itsu, his followers took control of several boats so that they might cross the Straits of Kadzusa. The prince cried haughtily, Bah! This is only a brook! Why so many boats? I could jump across it! Yet despite his arrogance, he boarded one of the boats. When the rest of the entourage had embarked and started on their journey, though, 
a great storm rose up. The waves became like mountains, the wind howled, the lightning blazed in the dark clouds, and the thunder roared. It seemed that the boat that carried the prince and his wife would sink, for this storm was the work of Ryujin, the dragon king of the sea, who was angry with the proud and foolish words of Prince Yamato. When the crew had taken down the sails in hope of steadying the vessel, the storm grew worse. At last, Ototachibana arose and... Forgiving all the sorrow her lord had caused her, she resolved to sacrifice her life in order to save her much-loved husband. And so the loyal Ototachibana spoke, O oh, Ryujin, the prince, my husband, has angered you with his boasting. I, Ototachibana, give you my poor life in the place of Yamato Take. I now cast myself into your great surging kingdom, and do you in return bring my lord safely to the shore. Having cried out these words, Ototachibana leapt into the seething waves, and in a moment they dragged that brave woman out of sight. No sooner had this sacrifice been made than the storm abated and the sun shone forth in a cloudless sky. Yamato Take safely reached his destination and succeeded in quelling the uprising. Our hero had certainly erred in his treatment of his faithful wife. Too late he learnt to appreciate her goodness, but let it be said to his credit that she remained a treasured memory till his death, while Princess Miyatsu was entirely forgotten. The Slaying of the Serpent Now that Yamato Take had carried out his father's instructions, he passed through the province of Owari until he came to the province of Omi. The province of Omi was afflicted with a great trouble, Many were in mourning, and many wept and cried aloud in their sorrow. The prince, on making inquiries, was informed that the great serpent every day came down from the mountain and entered the villages, making a meal of many of the unfortunate inhabitants. Prince Yamato at once started to climb up Mount Ibaki, where the great serpent was said to live. About halfway up, he encountered the awful creature. The prince was so strong that he killed the serpent by twisting his bare arms about it. He had no sooner done so than sudden darkness came over the land and rain fell heavily. However, eventually the weather improved and our hero was able to climb down the mountain. When he reached home, though, he found that his feet burned with a strange pain and, moreover, he felt very ill. He realised that the serpent had stung him and, as he was too ill to move, he was carried to a famous mineral spring. Here he finally regained his not inconsiderable strength and health, and for these blessings he gave thanks to Amaterasu, the sun goddess. Well, there we go. Short, sweet and entertaining. I hope you enjoyed it. As I said at the start, the last two have been short mainly because the next few episodes are longer and also much more well-known. And that starts next week, when we head west from Japan to somewhere new. But for the time being, if you have any questions, fire them in an email to themythspodcast at gmail.com or drop them in a comment on TikTok. And remember, in a couple of weeks I will be launching my Patreon, so keep an eye and ear out for that. For now, farewell, and I shall see you next week for episode 7 of What You May Have Mythed.